me, you buy information. Okay, meet me at 1 a.m. behind the bus depot, bring $500, and come alone. I'm serious. Welcome to 200 a Day, the podcast where we explore the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. As per usual, I am Nathan Paletta. And I am Epidiah Ravishaw. And with this episode, we're going to expand our evolving approach to the show, where we feel like we've talked about a lot of the recurring things, recurring structural things and aspects and narrative devices that the show uses. Um, And we've kind of hit a point where there's not so many new things that are coming up in these episodes that feel interesting to talk about. Uh, In so far as that they are, if this is the first time we've encountered them, but it won't be the first time, right? We've already encountered quite a few of them. So now we're going to, as we talk about the episode, just interrupt ourselves and talk about <laughs> the perfect execution of these things. Right. We're going to try and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be using an approach uh, that we've used a little more for like the uh, movie episodes. Yeah. Talk about the whole episode uh, when things come to us as opposed to necessarily going through like scene by scene, uh, though we'll still use that as the general structure. Longtime listeners shouldn't fret. There'll be plenty of the stuff that they've always enjoyed. But uh, yeah, uh, I'm excited to try out this new format. Like all things, uh, you get into a rut. I certainly feel like I've been in a little bit of one. Um, So hopefully this will freshen it up and and we'll find new and more exciting ways to be excited about the Rockford Files. Yes. So that said, uh, this episode, we are going to be considering a season six episode of the show. Episode 10, The Big Cheese. Yeah. Not only from the title... Uh, was I excited about this one? I picked this episode, um, and obviously with my uh, obsession with how food is treated in the show, yeah. what could possibly go wrong? Uh, plus the uh, summary included a note about Lieutenant Chapman getting some kind of uh, comeuppance, and I was like, yes, I'm always here for that. Uh, but as it turns out, this one has actually has a lot of good food moments. Yeah, actually, quite a few. Uh, so this is this is the third to last episode, right? So we're right. we're going as deep into the catalog as we've ever gone without going into the movies. Um, and it's a little sad to think about it as approaching the end, but I don't feel like this was in any way a like sometimes when you get to the end of a series, the the episodes are more about a look back, right? You know, a retrospective or or some sort of um, meditation on the series mm, itself, self referential, yeah. yeah. And or the other way could go, well, not the only other way, but one other way it could go is that it could just be phoning it in. Right. In this case, it's kind of the opposite. Uh, they were it's the, the sense that I have from the final season is that they're really trying to get everything in that they can because production yeah. wise, um, they basically had to stop the season halfway through. There's only, I think, 12 episodes. And we've talked about this on the show before, but if you hadn't heard us before, uh, James Garner, because he did all his own stunts and was very physically active, his body was like destroyed by the time they got into this season. I forget exactly what it was, but he basically ended a show, like ended some shooting schedule sick, like coughing up blood and like really like 
ill and his doctor was like you can't keep doing this you're destroyed like you're literally destroying your own like body by pushing yourself yeah. to do all this shooting so he was like i can't do the show we're gonna have to end it after this episode and then that was part of the struggle between the studio universal and his production company about whether he'd broken his contract and how much money they owed each other and all this oh. stuff that led to bad blood for decades between him yeah. and universal but i think there's a sense that they're really trying to get good stuff into this season i think one reason we haven't really done so many of season six episodes is that a lot of them when you look at it are either two-parters which we need to kind of like yeah. gear up for and be ready to do or they're returning characters from earlier seasons yeah <clears throat> so we did the episode where tom Selleck comes back as lance white but there's also an episode that reprises where uh rita moreno reprises her oh, yeah. her role which we haven't done any of her episodes yet which is a shame we need to get to that yeah what is wrong with us i know right <laughs> This is one of the few non-two-parter, non-returning character <laughs> uh, or returning special character episodes in a short season. Yeah. It is uh, written by a fellow by the name of Shell Willens, who I could not find anything about other than the IMDb credits that he <laughs> that are listed, <laughs> which are spare. He's written about 20 various episodes of TV, including this, uh, a Mrs. Columbo episode, a Miami Vice looking through his stuff right now and it's uh super 80s mm -hmm. that's what happens when you you live and exist in a time <laughs> <laughs> couldn't find anything else about this guy but he does appear to be on linkedin oh can we can we take a moment maybe you said this <laughs> i apparently did not know this existed kate mulgrew was plays mrs columbo mrs columbo yeah god damn now i got <laughs> <laughs> you don't got to watch those because that show is not good. <laughs> but it is Kate Mulgrew. So make your own choices as an adult. Okay. Uh, to be fair, I have watched some really, really, really bad stuff just because I felt like I just needed to know. Mm -hmm. But yeah. So is, what's his name in them? Peter Falk? Yeah. Peter no. Falk is, no. Oh, because we never meet Mrs. Columbo in Columbo, right? Yeah, like we never if, meet his wife. Yeah. Yeah. How many wrote for Auto Man? I'm sorry. <laughs> so I can stop. Let's uh, let's return to the Rockford Files. The director of this episode is Joseph Pevney. I wouldn't recognize the name, but looking through the credits, this is one of the uh, main uh, Star Trek directors for the original oh. series. He directed 13 episodes, sorry, 14 wow. episodes, including City on the Edge of Forever, uh, right. the Harlan Ellison one. Perhaps our, our Star Trek fans will have recognized that name immediately. Uh, also, two Incredible Hulk episodes. So nice. you can follow him back down that trail. But this guy, so he started his directing like career basically in the 50s in like studio movies. Yeah, so he's accomplished, very accomplished at this point. Super accomplished, and I think whatever stuff he brought to this episode definitely influenced it. There's certainly yeah. some shots, some cuts, that kind of stuff. But also the general tone of this one is a little edgier, a little yeah darker. We'll talk about that, but not in like a really, not in a depressing way, in kind of a right. noirish way. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about this as it goes along, but there is a uh, weird dialogue between this and, say, revenge flicks and mm -hmm. things like that, that this kind of flirts with, but doesn't quite get there. And uh, I, I think it's interesting. 
in 30 Years of the Rockford Files, uh, the episode kind of right up talks about how it showcases a little edgier part of Rockford mm-hmm. uh, and references the other episode that I would reference, which is Sleight of Hand, that we uh, did way back when we started the podcast, but is yeah. one of the darker, grittier yeah. episodes. Anyhow, I, we keep on saying we'll get into it, so let's get into it. Okay, so here's my deal with the preview montage. Uh, first of all, Toothpaste Rockford. <laughs> that alone is worth the price of admission. Mm-hmm. We've already won the episode. You just see Rockford with toothpaste foam around his lips as he's answering the phone. Uh, Chapman is also in this montage. We get to see some exciting chase sequences and a truck, which will uh, very briefly but very starkly play a role at the end. My note for that was dramatic truck danger. Yes. <laughs> Here's the thing about this preview montage I want to talk about because mm-hmm. it set me off on an emotional roller coaster okay. for the rest of the episode. Because we don't see, other than Chapman, we don't see any other regulars in this preview montage. Right. right? Yeah. It's not. It's not luring us in with the promise of the cast. Yes. And uh, there's going to be a moment real early on here where that plays. I get super sad, <laughs> but then happy again. So let's let's go into it. 200 a day is supported by all of our listeners, but especially our patrons at patreon.com slash 200 a day. Patrons get to add to the 200 a day Rockford Files files, help us pick which episodes to cover, and more. Each episode, we extend a special thanks to our gumshoe level patrons. This time, we say thank you to Jim Crocker. In addition to supporting the show, he also sells our games at cons east of the Mississippi on behalf of Indie Press Revolution. Follow along on Twitter at IPR Tweets. Shane Leveland. If you play games online, you should check out his free dice rolling app, Roll For Your Party, at rollforyour.party. Mike Gillis, host of the Radio vs. the Martians podcast, the McLaughlin Group for Nerds. They remain at RadioVersusTheMartians.com. Kevin Lovecraft, part of the Wednesday evening podcast All-Stars Actual Play podcast, found at MisdirectedMark.com. Lowell Francis, with his award-winning gaming blog at AgeOfRavens.blogspot.com. Dylan Winslow, Dale Norwood, Bill Anderson, Chris, and Dave P. And finally, big thanks to Victor DeSanto and to Richard Haddam, who you can find on Twitter at Richard Haddam. Check out patreon.com slash 200 today and see if you want to be our newest gumshoe. So the big cheese kicks off with a, I'm not sure if cinematic is the right word, but like this very artfully constructed shot that could have been out of yeah. Postman Always Rings Twice kind of you know, yeah. movie where we have this beautiful um, train terminal. I think you even get like a shot of the Union Station or whatever it's called. As the title credits roll and you kind of see where you're at and we're waiting for something to happen. And then a man carrying a package just kind of comes into the shot in the very center of it and just pauses for a moment and then walks away. And it's like, all right, so we're following that guy. And it's just yeah. like such a such a, a constructed bring your attention to where it needs to be shot that I associate with the big screen. This opening feels like a, a big screen noir, yeah. right? Like the train station at night, presumably at night, uh, vaguely lonely, but like in the city and still got, you know, the, yeah, no, this definitely has this feel to it that uh, could have come out of a black and white film. The initial, our initial kind of situation gets set up. So this guy in this bad suit, he's going to buy some stamps. And then we go to a couple guys who are clearly goons. Yes. Uh, and they're playing pinball. Yes, they are. And uh, I would like to point out that uh, I kept trying to figure out where I knew the guy in the blue suit from. Mm-hmm. 
And as it turns out, I don't. <laughs> I just think he's Chris Pine. Oh. That is my... <laughs> I see it. Yeah. Yeah. So my brain is like, well, if you ever wanted to see Chris Pine as a a gorilla in, um, in a Rockford episode, this is the episode for you. They're, uh, they're, they're at, at this pinball machine, keeping an eye on someone else. And it turns out this is an older gray haired guy in this gray suit. They're talking about whether he has a package and he does not. So now they're like, Oh no, where's the package? Then we go back to our Brown suit wearing guy who is making a big production of sticking all the stamps on this big rectangular butcher paper wrapped package and then scrawling in terrible handwriting yes. an address. <laughs> Though you can clearly say the, see the word Rockford in the middle of his terrible scrawl. In, in my notes, this is where he transforms from being a suspicious fellow mm-hmm. to drunk fellow. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I was like, oh, this guy's not suspicious. He's drunk. That's what's happening. Uh, he puts this in the mailbox and then goes to the payphone, calls Rockford. And we get our shot of, yes. of toothpaste Rockford answering <laughs> the phone. This whole first kind of act really moves super quick. Yeah. So this guy in the suit that mailed the package, his name is Eddie, and he's some kind of reporter. Um, he calls Rockford and tells him that he has something coming to him in the mail, something big. And then before he can say what it is or any other context, uh, I think it was the, was it the Chris Pine looking guy? No, it was the other guy. It was the the lackey. Chris Pine's lackey. Comes up behind him and we have a shot where he's clearly palming an ice pick. I think by the standards of the Rockford Files, this is a pretty graphic murder. This is, this is, uh, my notes are straight up murder. Yeah, just a straight up ice pick murder while this guy's on the phone with Jim. And then we see the guy grab the, his business card that says Jim Rockford agency yeah. and his address and everything. So it's like, oh boy, <laughs> like, <laughs> this this escalated quickly. But again, feeling, uh, you know, detective noir crime. Yeah. The other thing that this very brief phone conversation has established is that uh, Jim and Eddie go back. Right. That, yeah. that they know each other. Uh, I at this point was under the mistaken impression that Eddie is also an ex-con that, mm. uh, that they went back to prison. We'll find out later that they, they went back to they're like childhood friends or something. So Rockford gets this call. Here's Eddie get cut off. Yeah. So he knows something is wrong. He calls Becker. Of course, this is all handled through like cutting to where the thing is happening. So we cut from Rockford on the phone to the police station where this guy Floyd is answering the phone. And we're only hearing his side of the conversation where he's like, oh, Becker's not here. This is my emotional nadir of the episode. Because <laughs> we don't see Becker in the opening montage. And then they have someone else sitting in his chair answering the phone. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> Also, I would add, because it's the final season, Mm -hmm. it's another symptom of final seasons that they often have new cast members to replace other ones who've gone off Mm -hmm. to find more work or what what have you. So at this point, I'm almost in a panic that we're not going to see Becker. And then a wild Chapman appears. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So Lieutenant Chapman... A uh, longtime foe of of Jim, uh, you know, always coming down on him, always trying to bust him for stuff. Uh, though every so often, we will see them have to work together on something. Yes. He's getting this guy to come with him because there's a couple of stiffs at the train station. They got to go check it out. And then on their way out. Yes. 
Becker shows up and I, Hooray! I am weeping for joy. <laughs> One thing that stands out about this is how much is spent on uh, Roy Floyd here, mm-hmm. uh, the screen time. Is he a reoccurring character? He does not have a link on the name on the IMDb. He's been in the Rockford Files. The actor's been in the Rockford Files, but he plays three different characters. So this is the very first time we see Sergeant Roy Floyd and the very last time we see him. And there is a considerable amount of effort dedicated yeah. to making him a character. And then... And then we just never see him again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've talked before about how good the Rockford Files is about making incidental people real. Yeah. And and there's a few examples of that that are going to show up, especially people who work in bureaucracy. <laughs> but uh, but this just stood out to me in kind of an yeah. odd way. I wonder if they had intentions for Roy here. I think maybe what elevates him just from a memorable side character to like, oh, they're doing something with him is some yeah. status play stuff that he ends up in the middle of uh, yeah. in a couple scenes. So maybe we'll go into that yeah. when we get there. But we do get the start of this interaction where Chapman is just like ordering him around and telling him to do stuff. And he's a little, he's a little like, Oh, shouldn't we check with whoever, or, you know, shouldn't I talk to, you know, check with Becker or whatever. And then he's like, no, you're with me. So Chapman is exercising his authority over this guy, Floyd. So we get Becker's appearance. uh, And then we go right back to our two goons busting through the door into Jim's bedroom while he's asleep. (laughs) This is a door I didn't know existed. <laughs> this is a part of the the ever-changing morphology of Jim's trailer, where, yeah. uh, you know, his bedroom has a different configuration depending on what the plot needs. In this yeah. case, it appears to have a door to the outside of the trailer. Yeah, and we do. We get a picture of the outside of the trailer where it is later on, but yeah. And I assume that must be the back of the trailer? A little bit later, we'll see where it is. And it's it's just further down on the trailer facing the same direction that the other door is is but the thing about it that like my notes were like where are we what's happening (laughs) so it makes me wonder if he just had like an escape door put into his bedroom right Mm -hmm. like just in case we are past the point where someone literally dropped a grenade into his uh trailer so right anything is possible yeah Yeah. (laughs) uh like i said this this goes at a pretty much a breakneck pace to like get all of our initial situation going. So yeah, there are two dead bodies. So yeah. in addition to Eddie, someone else got killed. Then these guys burst into his bedroom. The boss wants to see him and he's <laughs> incredulous that someone would give him this line. And I think this is where we start to get the real Rockford sense of like, yeah. It's not a straight up, we're just going to tell a crime story with these characters. Like his expression and whatever his line is, is like, really? you got to be kidding. The boss? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And he does make sure to get his slippers before they take him to see the boss, uh, who happens to be in a slaughterhouse full of, you know, hanging pig carcasses or whatever. So we we learn uh, that this boss is a union guy by the name of Chuck Ryan. We establish him as being on the phone with his wife, I suppose, and telling her, like, don't call me at work and like yeah. <laughs> say like, oh, there's something about the kid and the school. And it's like, OK, so we get a little like yeah. this is a guy with a with a life. He's He's got concerns. <laughs> and then he hangs up and is a mobbed up union boss from then on through the rest of the episode. But this is all fairly straightforward stuff. He, they want to know. They know that this guy, Eddie, called Jim. They want to know why he called him. 
there's a fun exchange here where the the boss, where Chuck Ryan says, I don't like wise guys. And Jim responds with, I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, through whatever combination of Jim really not knowing what's going on and knowing that he doesn't have any power in this situation. Yeah. He's just as straightforward as I've ever seen him. Where like, yeah, he, he called me. Uh, he said he was mailing something to me. And uh, Brian says that, well, that that belongs to me. And he's going to have his goons uh, sit on Rockford until he cracks. Cut <laughs> to <laughs> joke in the cut to Jim cracking eggs into a skillet because these guys are literally staying with him in the trailer yeah. waiting for his mail to arrive. And he's essentially <laughs> making them breakfast at gunpoint. <laughs> I have grown to appreciate these jokes in the cut in a way that I like now I just wait for the, whatever yeah. one's going to be in the next episode. In the beginning, when we set out with this entire adventure, I did not realize that one of the reoccurring elements was going to be uh, this joke in the cut gag that they keep doing. I'd be hard pressed to think of an episode where they didn't do it uh, so many times. Somebody says something and bam, we're right there. I think it does a lot to it adds a lot to the overall tone of what makes it a rockford files episode yeah i think because not like other shows don't do this or whatever but it's one of the elements um there's some banter about like how they like their eggs and how he likes <laughs> his bacon and then the mail comes and there's no package <laughs> like all right we'll go tell the boss that you're it didn't come today or whatever but we'll be back tomorrow for mail call and they walk out with his plate of food and he yells after them, like, you know, hey, at least bring my plate back. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get another, uh, it's not really a joke here. This is just kind of like a match cut. Another quick transition to, he takes the one plate he still has, uh, yeah. Jim does, uh, throws it into his sink. And we match cut to a diploma, a framed diploma with Eddie, his last name's Hellinger. So with Eddie's name on it, being thrown down onto a desk. And we zoom out to see that it's Chapman. Yeah. Something about this episode that stuck with me was that it's a little hard to put my finger on really the tone of it because it does combine this kind of gritty crime aesthetic yeah. and story with our more lighthearted ephemera around how like Rockford works and the characters that, that are around him. And it's not that it doesn't work, but it does. It is a weird kind of back and forth tonal shift. I don't know if you felt that as well i think so i mean like um there's a few things that happened in this episode where i'm like wait i should be more suspicious of this or uh wait this is a this is a sad thing that's happened yeah i think one of the reasons why it works in this episode uh like for instance with the suspicion thing i'm suspicious in moments when rockford isn't when rockford should be uh-huh. and i think other people are funny in moments when Rockford is sad. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that works. There's a, there's a great scene with Angel coming up that, that I think does a kind of a good job with that. But like one of the themes in this episode has to do with the fact that Eddie is a loner. Yeah. That Rockford's really the only person that Eddie has mm. and nobody is respecting that. Nobody, uh, is giving him the, the space for that sort of he's he's lost a friend uh, not the best of friends but like a, a friend someone he knows better than anyone else knows we get that theme first 
expressed in this scene. Um, yeah. Uh, so we're in Eddie's apartment where Chapman and this guy Floyd are checking it out. It looks like it's been tossed. Uh, and Chapman's like, you know, look through everything. This guy Floyd, he's not arguing, but he's just kind of like being, he's kind of pushing back with like other options. Yeah. Well, maybe if he's, what if he's just a really messy guy? Yeah. And Chapman is having <laughs> none of it. Chapman is like, no, you have to check every single thing. This is a very important case. It could even mean a transfer to internal affairs. So I got this sense that like, oh, there's something going on. Yeah, yeah. That, like, Chapman is really, like, gung-ho about breaking this case open, which turns out is not the case. No, it isn't. Uh, I remember that line very distinctly and thinking the same thing, And now, but it didn't occur to me at the end to re-examine that. Nowadays, internal affairs in every cop show is the villain, right? Mm-hmm. Like, even if it, they're not the villain, even if they're the good guys, the cops treat them like the villain. Like, why would you want to be transferred there? Mm-hmm. So it had this weird ring in the modern sense. I think in context, it's like this could mean like promotion, right? Yeah, like is kind of the sense of how he's how he's talking about it. And, and the other thing is, we get a little bit of the idea that Roy here is a rookie. Yeah, like maybe maybe just made detective or something, or or I don't I don't know how rankings go. <laughs> um, but the the way people are treating Roy, it's as if he's a little naive. Yeah, and so the question is: Is Chapman telling Roy this because he sees that in Roy's future, or is Chapman far more likely saying this because he's dreaming of that? himself i think it's that second one i think that fits with the chapman that we see in this episode what we see here that gets borne out later is that chapman is under some kind of pressure yes and here i assumed it was professional pressure it turns out that it's not but in any case uh after we get that line about internal affairs uh jim comes around because of course he does he knocks you know he doesn't know that eddie's dead like he knows that the that the phone got cut off but he doesn't know that eddie got killed so he's knocking and they hear him. So, so Chapman and, uh, you know, takes up this position kind of hidden around a corner. So Rockford, of course, picks the lock to come in. Chapman swings around on him. And there's this great piece of body language where Jim like jumps because, you know, he's startled and it goes directly into like an eye roll of like, oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so Chapman's hassling him. Jim's just saying like, he's a friend of mine. Uh, you know, I'm worried about him. And then yeah. Chapman tells him that Eddie is dead. We have a shot of Jim agonized sadness on his face, just going like, oh, no. Yeah. And, and that's the first, oh, he really cares about Eddie. Yeah. In a yeah. way that so far no one else has had any reason to show us. Probably realizes that he heard Eddie die. Right. Like that's the yeah. mm-hmm. kind of horrifying thing is that he's on the phone with him when he's murdered and he didn't suspect murder right away. Or he was like, that is an option, but I do not want to think that that's what happened. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we go right back to the uh, to the station with Chapman leaning on Rockford, trying to get whatever he knows, threatening him with the breaking and entering all the oh, standard God. Chapman stuff. Yeah. <laughs> And we also get, you know, Rockford's fairly standard, like, what, you're, you can't get any of that stuff to stick. You know, he's a friend of mine. I was just looking after him. It's a nice touch. Because Chapman tries to hit him with breaking and entering or something like that, yeah. right? Uh, that felt sloppy. 
mm-hmm. even for Chapman. And I think that's great. Like this is a moment when Chapman's going to be sloppy, right? Mm-hmm. This is, as we'll find out, he's got problems. Yeah. Chapman has a line where he says that uh, Eddie didn't have friends. He was the biggest stew pot in town, which <laughs> not sure what that means. But it sounds like an insult. I don't want to be the biggest stewpot in town. So Chapman, I don't remember Floyd's there. If he has Floyd come in, it doesn't really matter. So there's Chapman and Floyd and Rockford. Chapman leaves and tells Floyd to sweat him till you have a good-sized puddle. Yes. So he's like assigning this guy to interrogate Rockford, which seems like a bad move. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, okay, I'm I'm excited to see where this goes. Right. Yeah. Because we know that Jim is very good at not giving in to pressure, not playing the game that the cops want him to play when he has something he wants to keep from them, all that stuff. And we have this moment where Floyd, like, puts on his, like, bad cop face and turns around and starts trying to grill Rockford. And before we can really get into any interaction, Becker comes in. You gonna book this guy? And Floyd immediately changes his entire demeanor and goes like, oh, well, Lieutenant Chapman told me to interrogate him. Yeah. And we get a, look, either book him or cut him loose. They're not going to book him. So uh, he says, all right, well, I guess you're free to go. I think this is the status play that I was mentioning earlier. There's this very clear tension between Chapman and Becker that's expressed through Floyd. Yeah, and that... That may be the whole reason for Floyd. I think so, because there's a later, uh, we hear more about this tension later. Yeah. And that would make sense for expressing it without having them have face-to-face confrontation, which is actually kind of a nice method. If this episode is about Chapman, Mm -hmm. what we have here is Chapman distracted and thinking about moving into a different department. And we have Chapman having trouble controlling his department right like right. he's pushing floyd around but floyd will cave to uh becker so yeah like who who's in charge here mm-hmm. uh, and it's not in becker's character to take command like this so it so he clearly knows that like he can yeah. just tell this guy to do stuff uh yeah so maybe that's the only reason why we have floyd there because this is the last time we see him yeah because <laughs> it feels like this is building to something for Floyd right. and then he's he's gone from the episode after this. But as that medium of expressing the Becker-Chapman conflict, that's pretty effective. This is the last we see of him until uh, the three seasons of uh, Sergeant Roy Floyd. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, once Floyd leaves, we get uh, uh, Jim and Dennis talking. We get a little more about why Jim is so upset about what's happened yeah uh i forget if there's a specific thing but he mentions i think that they knew each other since they were 15 yeah and that eddie even though he let himself down all the time never let jim down yeah he didn't have it all together like he was a drunk and all that stuff but he was a good friend to jim um i forget if we noted it earlier but but uh, uh eddie's a reporter Yes, that's definitely evident to me by the end of the story. But I think I do. I think I did miss the moment when that was said. But so I think implying that like Rock, you know, Eddie's always like helped him because he's kind of in touch with stuff that's happening. Right. Yeah. He's a reporter. Becker hits him with the fact that there was a second murder. A guy a block away from the train station with the same kind of wound. Yeah. Uh, Looks like an ice pick or something. So now Rockford is in possession of that information. 
Upon his departure, he meets a woman in the hallway by the name of Sally, who says that she worked with Eddie at the paper. She didn't really know him because he's a loner, kept to himself, yeah. didn't make friends really well, but she knew who he was and worked with him and that she was actually assigned to write his obituary and that Jim seems to be the one who knows him the best. Would you tell me about him? Yeah. So we're getting all the stuff about the, the Eddie isolation. Uh, Rockford, of course, invites her to dinner. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so this is the last season. The show's been on for six years. That's a long enough span of time that if you watch a first season episode and a sixth season episode, you can see the age on James Garner. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not that he was super young when they started the show, but as things do, you can see it. Yeah. Sally is played by an actress named uh, Constance Towers, who has done lots of stuff and was a stage a stage actress as well as uh, TV shows and TV movies and stuff. Um, this is her only uh, Rockford Files appearance and i'm not really familiar with her but she's not an ingenue right she's you know of jim's age and bearing and yeah i was i was just comparing their birthdays because i figured this is where you're going and and she's five years younger than him not 10 or 20 years mm. younger than him and he had he acts with her like he would with yeah any other attractive woman that comes into his orbit that wants to talk to him about something invites her to dinner you know they're slightly flirtatious but not too i appreciate that the show would cast a diverse range of uh ages and looks for these roles yeah so we go to them having their after dinner coffee in this restaurant she says that that was the biggest steak that she ever saw and Jim says that he would watch Eddie eat two of those and then a lemon meringue pie, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> there you go. That's all you need to know about Eddie. He would eat two enormous steaks and a lemon meringue pie. So here's an important question for you. Is the steak that she's referring to something she ate or something Rockford ate? Or did they split it? I assume that it's something she ate. Okay. I could be wrong. So far, food-wise, mm. we've seen Rockford make breakfast. That he didn't eat. Uh, we see this meal, and she is discussing what we assume is what she ate, not, mm -hmm. not what he ate. I mean, they could have both had one enormous steak. Yeah, it <laughs> could be. <laughs> and I thought there was another food. No, there's more food. There's definitely oh, there's more, more food, food to come. come. Yeah. Uh, I do want to point out, this is just this went under the radar when we were discussing it, but he made breakfast for the goons when they checked the mail. It was two overdue bills and an ad for life insurance. <laughs> <laughs> Which is exactly what Jim would get in the mail. So the rest of this uh, dinner scene, um, we get a little bit more about how they grew up together. And uh, we see more of Jim really being emotionally, yeah, not emotionally involved, but we see that Jim really cared about this guy. Yeah. Uh, Sally says that he was writing a series on Chuck Ryan and the union. Uh, so maybe that had something to do with it. And She's not wrong, but Jim also says that, well, Chuck Ryan's a, he says he's a sticks and stones kind of guy, and he doesn't yeah. think that he would go to this length just for a newspaper story. Right. And I wasn't sure if that was Jim saying what he actually thought or Jim downplaying what she's saying so that she doesn't get right worried or try to follow it up herself. I think Jim is thinking that it has to be something more than that. Like, there has to be a smoking gun. So, continuing with a bit of our food theme... We cut from there to Angel, as far as I could tell, 
just dumping hot sauce into a cup of yeah. something. So I wrote this down. This is angel tea. This is what angel <laughs> tea. This is what I've been able to. I I watched this, rewound it, watched it, rewound it, watched <laughs> it. He's got a mug. We don't know if there's anything in the mug before the scene begins. He has a large bottle of hot sauce. Could be Tabasco. Tabasco sometimes comes in a large bottle. He pours that into the mug. Then he pours what appears to be hot water from a kettle into the mug. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he picks up uh, what could either be a shaker of salt or pepper. It is dark in color, so I assume <laughs> it's pepper. Uh, and he puts that in the mug. And then finally, he takes a small bottle of what is silhouette, makes it look very much like Tabasco sauce. And just a few dashes of that to round it out. Then he takes a plastic spoon and stirs it for a little bit. Amazing. <laughs> and this is all <laughs> while the dialogue is going on. Yeah. And this is like, I could not concentrate on the dialogue <laughs> until I figured out what the ingredients were. It's entirely possible that what he has in, in that mug is like like a cup of soup, instant noodles or something mm-hmm. like that. But it certainly looks like he's just making tea out of hot sauce. Two kinds of hot sauce. Two kinds. So Angel in this episode, so this is an interesting thing. I mean, it's great. We get to see Jim and Angel, which is always fun. It's not important at all, like to the plot, except to showcase Jim's emotional state. Yes. Jim, the excuse here is that Jim uh, wants to know if there's, because he was a newspaper guy, if there's anything else about Eddie or what he was working on that Angel could find out from his stepbrother's newspaper. Which is a different newspaper than Eddie's. Right. And Angel's very noncommittal. Yeah. Jim has a line about how, you know, Eddie didn't really have friends. And, like, it's going to be really, like, it's it's really depressing. That's just going to be, like, him and Sally, like, seeing him off or at yeah. the funeral or something like that. And then Angel goes on this extended tangent about, like, death. You ever think who's going to be around for you? And start singing a song about like yeah, you remember that song from when we were kids, and it is a morbid, morbid it's so song, morbid, buried. <laughs> and so Jim is like, "Look, I just want you to help me out. You know, stop being so morbid. Like that's not what I yeah. want to deal with right now. I need your help." And then Angel gets mad because Jim dropped the bummer on him. So what is yes. he supposed to think? <laughs> I want to take a moment because I think you're absolutely right. Angel's existence in this episode is to give Rockford uh, a way to let us as the audience know that he's hurting. Yeah. And in this scene, we see that he's trying not to think about it because he just wants to find out what happened. He needs to like do the job and he'll worry about the emotional part later. But Angel keeps bringing it up. But the thing about this scene that I think is perfect because this scene is an incredible embodiment of Angel's character. Like mm. the from the joke with the you know Angel tea with the, this like Tabasco hot sauce mix or whatever which we've seen Angel like overheat uh mm. food in the past. He's living in a hotel room it appears or I think later on he mentions that it's a hotel room. It's a little bit of a mess. He's got a hot plate and two kinds of hot sauce. Uh, but also his dialogue in here, I think he starts off by saying, I don't see where I fit in, Jimmy. I don't know why you're coming to me. Yeah. The way it's phrased, the I don't see where I fit in, Jimmy, like goes to how Angel looks at the world. Like everything is a con yeah. and he just wants to know his place in it. 
what's my piece in this con? Not like, oh, I'll help you out, or I don't know if I can help you out, or, you know. Like, what am I getting out of this, or what are you getting out of this by asking me to get in on it? What's, yeah, what's my role? Who, what am I supposed to play? And, like, you know, he's got lines in it, like, who will mourn for Angel Martin? And Rockford will, obviously. And then just down to that thing at the end where he, the line is specifically, that's what I get for letting you lay this bummer on me. Mm-hmm. It's not even that Rockford can lay a bummer on him. It's that Angel clearly is magnanimous enough to let Rockford bring him down. Right. Oh, that's great. It, it is a wonderful portrait of Angel. Throughout it, Stuart Margolin is still as charismatic as ever, right? Like, oh, yeah. Th- this is a horrible individual. And we watch the scene, and it's like, I want to hang out with Angel. I just, <laughs> I just want to know more I, about this guy. I want him to teach me how to make that hot sauce. Yes. <laughs> Similarly, oh, yeah? uh, in our next scene we get just the most essential thrust of the relationship between Jim and his dad, Rocky. Because <laughs> Jim goes back to his trailer, and Rocky's there, and he's boarded up the door. You know, we already talked about our question mark about where exactly, what what has happened to the trailer. But apparently the door was to the outside, and and Rocky has, you know, taken the trouble of boarding it up and, you know, fixing it up while Jim's been running around. Uh, you get the impression as this scene unfolds that Rocky has shown up, seen that the door was... St- <laughs> yeah. And just, he was like, well, the only thing I could do is fix this door for him. There's no, like, it wasn't like Rockford asked him. Right. And we get a extremely direct reprise yes. of, <laughs> of Rocky wanting Jim to get out of this line of work because it's too dangerous. And Jim saying, we had this conversation a year and a half ago. We said we'd never have it again. I'm not having it again. You know, this is what I do. Don't hassle me. (laughs) (laughs) And he just wants Rocky to leave until he tells him to come back. Yeah. The attitude with which this is done, because we've we've seen this in so many episodes, right? This is like part of their relationship is that Rocky worries about him. um, And Jim values his independence. But the body language here and the like the way that the stuff is delivered really felt like Jim was being like, just leave, just get out of here. Like get out of my life yeah. <laughs> until I tell you to come back uh, in a way that I feel like we have not seen in earlier episodes. Um, He's scared here. He's already had one friend die. He's so emotionally raw about the fact that Eddie's dead. Yeah. That he's like, just get out, just, just get out of here. Get out of my life. Get out of away from my trailer. I will tell you to come back, but I might not ever tell you to come back. Was kind of like <laughs> part of like, was subtext yeah. that I read into that because he seemed so viscerally mad at Rocky. Yeah, it's not a long scene, but as with so many things between the two of them, it really packed a lot of narrative subtext into their interaction. To play into the thing that you mentioned before about the way this episode is sometimes at odds with its own tone, it ends with a joke, right? It ends with. Uh, Rockford saying it's just a little problem with the mail. <laughs> like right. that was... Which is also a joke in the cut because we cut yes. to a post, like a post office processing line and all this like mail getting shuttered through the automatic machines. Um, we have two scenes yeah. where like Jim is like really seriously aggrieved and then it kind of lightens up into with this joke and into this scene, which is a little more classic mm-hmm. Rockford running a con. We have great business between him and this postal administrator or whoever. Uh, yeah. Jim is, is the, the line that he's running 
is that he needs to trace his package because it contains some kind of like sounds like it has like anthrax in it or something yeah yeah uh, he doesn't come out and say that it's a dangerous element he just like makes these offhand comments about the person at the lab right like she should have recovered by now yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and the guy that he's talking to is super young and i think yeah. that's important for how this plays out uh because he's young, he seemed, he's buying everything that Rockford's selling, and he says, like, well, if it's that dangerous, we should just shut everything down. Give me the word. I can shut everything in this yeah. place down. And he's like, I just got married. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, you know, Jim's like, no, that's, you know, we just need to find the package. We don't need to do that. And talks him through to bring him to Mr. Hogue, who's a Nixie, uh, which I yeah. guess is a specialist in misaddressed packages or deciphering handwriting that, uh, yeah. you know, the automated system couldn't figure out. And the guys, when he hands him off to, uh, to, to Hogue, his voice cracks on something that he says. And he ends by saying like, my wife needs to talk to me or something like that. Like, yeah, yeah. Like he, he wants to get away from Rockford because he's super worried about something that's going to happen. I, I think he makes up an illness. I think he says, like, my I have to go. My wife isn't feeling well or something. Uh, it both explains how easily Rockford gets to this point when after this, the episode's all about how intransigent the post office is. But it's also a fun contrast and it, like, lightens up the mood after the previous yeah, couple scenes. This Nixie... Finds it in the book. He goes to the book. By the way, the person whose job it is to decipher poor uh, handwriting has giant, thick-ass glasses. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, I did that one. Here it is right in the book. It went to John Rockfield. (laughs) (laughs) So when I was looking at the, you know, the, the cast and stuff for this, just skimming, I was like, oh, there's a John Rockford in this. Yeah. I wonder who that is. I'm looking forward to this yeah, yeah. expansion of the Rockford family. No, no. I just saw Rock and assumed it was Rockford, but this yes. character's name is John Rockfield. <laughs> this character is another great example of we've just got a few moments. Let's just make sure he's a real person when we put him on screen. So here's where I think we we uh, go into our our third act of the story, now that we know yeah. where the package has gone. Um, Jim goes to see John Rockfield, who is kind of like played as kind of a country bumpkin. Yeah. After just like a line or two with this guy, I know already what the problem is going to be. Yeah. Like <laughs> you, you, you know that this is the kind of person who plays it by the book mm-hmm. and would absolutely... Like, he's trying, that's not my package. It's not for me. Uh, The the term that comes to mind is salt of the earth. This this guy's a salt of the earth kind of guy. Wholesome. Yes, extremely wholesome. I tried to not let them give it to me, but they insisted. (laughs) Clearly it says Rockford, not Rockfield. Like, he can read the handwriting. But anyway, yeah, so he received it, even though he didn't want it. He didn't open it because it wasn't for him. And he took it back to the post office and gave it back to them to deliver. You know, Rockford's trail uh, is going to take him back to the local post office branch where the package has now been re-posted. Re, uh, yes. <laughs> then we we go to a postman in his driving his truck. <laughs> and then a dramatic piece of action where our two goons drive up to it while he's stopped 
and then just drive their car into the side of his van, slowly pushing it over because it's so tall, right? Yeah. I'm not sure if the physics of this actually work, unless the truck was on some kind of, like, drop. It would have to be uh, two of the wheels, the opposite two wheels would have to be off the curb, right? Yeah. Like, it, it, you know, or something. It just didn't seem right, but whatever. It doesn't matter because the because yeah. <laughs> it's it's both hilarious and a little terrifying. As we have this shot of the truck just going all the way over. So we cut from there to seeing it go over to seeing it on its side and our postman outside of it. He's alive. He's banged up, but he's okay. And then Rocky's truck is driving towards it. And I was like, oh, why is Jim in Rocky's truck? I thought he told him to go away. But of course, this is the mail route to Jim's. And Rocky knows this mailman and saw this. So he came over to see, you know what happened yeah i was gonna say like my notes are of course rocky knows fred of course like, yeah of fred, course <laughs> fred the mailman they pushed me over with a car and they was after jim's mail <laughs> and by the way this is the moment when i realized we haven't seen the firebird at all this episode so while the opening montage tricked me into thinking we weren't going to see beck or angel or rocky and we've seen all three of them it it holds true that we won't see the firebird well we see the inside of the firebird Oh, yes. We go from dramatic but humorous moment into another very movie-style noir shot where we have this, I I refer to it as brooding in my notes. So we're inside the Firebird. The shot's from the back seat over Jim's shoulder, but we see his eyes in the rear view. And then out the front we see him coming up to this whole scene with the turned over truck and now there's police cars because rocky called the police and whatever it's not super long but it's long enough that you're like sitting with rockford alone in his car for a good couple seconds i think it really brings home his emotional state i guess Mm -hmm. uh in a way that an exterior shot of him just driving up into the firebird wouldn't yeah i think you're right chapman's on the scene of course Yes. Uh, a couple of guys smack the mailman around looking for Jim's mail. Yeah. what What's going on? And Jim's like, well, package went to this other guy. He took it to the post office. I've been there all day trying to get it. <laughs> and Chapman guarantees that he can get the package from the post office yes. before Jim can find his socks. <laughs> um. So Jim, so now we, we elevate, you know out of the, the, the darker tone again with another joke in this in this transition where Jim says, we'll take a change of clothes and a couple of sandwiches. And we <laughs> cut to Jim eating a taco outside a taco stand with Dennis. Yes. And Dennis says, how can you eat that thing? And Jim responds, I'm hungry. The history of how people treat food in in popular culture is is got to be interesting because it was there a time when people thought tacos weren't good? I know, right? <laughs> or was that just a dentist thing? Yeah, yeah. There was. We recently posted an episode where that also involved a, a a scene where Jim and Dennis talk over tacos. Yeah, and Jim says, "Oh, do you want some?" And Dennis is like, "No, I'm on a water diet." Yes. <laughs> so like Dennis, and now I need to check every time and see if Dennis always turns down tacos. I can remember another time where Jim gets a breakfast taco and Dennis just gets coffee because yeah. breakfast taco, how can you eat that? So I don't know if it's a, if that's a cultural thing, like he's expressing what people thought about tacos or if Dennis doesn't like tacos. This is the early 80s. 
So this is probably five years before like every television show had to talk about how how weird it is to eat sushi, mm-hmm. right? Like that is a thing in the late eighties. Everybody was talking about how sushi's weird uh, because it was uh, I, I probably a fad at that time. So here uh, we were just getting this this interaction, both seeing Jim and Dennis kind of talk informally about the case, which is very classic how they do things. And Dennis telling him that the other guy that got killed was this this uh, guy who ran a laundromat by the name of Arnold Moe. Yeah. I don't remember if he says that there's a specific connection between Eddie and this guy Arnold or not. But that gives Jim the next lead to, to figure out what's going on. Is this where Dennis floats the, the police theory that he was just a witness to the crime? Yes. Yeah. He's like, maybe he saw saw him yeah, get killed and that's why. Because he was a block away. And Jim was suspicious of that, as he should be. I was going to say, the other thing that happened between this scene and the previous scene is uh, we get a lot of business about receipts. Mm-hmm. We've seen IRS papers on Chapman's desk, but this is where we learned, like, Dennis is everyone on the force or everybody in, in the, the squad or whatever, it, they're collecting their receipt to give to Chapman. And... <laughs> Dennis is like, what? It's not like it's a felony. It's <laughs> like, it's a felony. <laughs> like, it's not- I had to, yeah, I had to rewind this to figure out what the business with the receipts were because I wasn't really paying attention yeah. to that. So what is declared here by Dennis is that Chapman's getting audited. Yeah. And that he like lost all his papers or something. So it's the idea that he's getting all these receipts so that he can show the IRS, oh, here are my expenses but that, but they're fake because they're not his real expenses. Yeah. So the the bit that probably didn't hit that well. I don't know why. Uh, like I don't know how it's supposed to have hit. But in the previous scene, when Rockford is talking to Chapman, a receipt falls out of Chapman's wallet, right. and Rockford comments on the restaurant. Yeah, it's like a barbecue place, and he's like, "I don't see you." Oh yes, like eating barbecue or something like that. And I thought that was just a dig at Chapman. Yeah, another weird food hang-up. But yeah. um, the barbecue place had a great motto on their receipt, which was like, rub your rub our meat against your gums or something. <laughs> it, was, it was horrendous. Anyways, the point is, Rockford was making some comment about how Chapman, he didn't see Chapman as the kind of person that would eat there. So now we're learning that Chapman isn't. Somebody in the department is, and they've given Chapman their receipts. Because what Chapman has to do now is to justify all of the uh, food expenses that he's done over the course of working there mm-hmm. that he's told the IRS that he's done so that he can get the return that he gets. And uh, the thing that doesn't make sense to me is that receipts usually have dates on them. Like maybe, <laughs> maybe they didn't back then, but... And also, as we learned at the end of this episode, Chapman's a little dumb about yeah, no, yeah. the IRS. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, uh, so we have that yes. to look forward to. Um, okay, and then we kind of finish out this this part of the episode with Jim returning to Angels, theoretically to find out if he's found out anything, like he yeah. asked him, and asked him to look into this other guy. Angel, I noticed this time, answers the door in uh, heart boxer shorts, which... are very, <laughs> Which I feel like we've seen him wear in other I episodes. I think he might have, yeah. It seems very familiar. Um, but here, this is the real, like... Oh. Yeah. The real harsh 
point of the episode, uh, Jim starts asking him about stuff and then notices a portable typewriter. And he's like, yeah. Angel, where'd you get that? Angel says that he took it from the newspaper. Jim picks it up and it has uh, EH on it, which are Eddie's initials. And then he turns around and sees a new small television. Yeah. And he gets so mad because Angel, as he says, you picked his bones. Yeah. So after Rockford told Angel that Eddie was dead, Angel went to Eddie's apartment and stole a bunch of stuff. Yes. The typewriter, the TV, and his press award. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that is a, that is an angel note, right? Like, that is so incredibly angel to be like, well, I, did, I, I should have gotten one of these anyway, so I'll just take this one. <laughs> um, this is definitely one of those, like, you really have to watch it scenes. Yeah. I mean, I think we can all appreciate it in the abstract, but, like, the impact of this scene is seeing Jim get as close as I've ever seen him to just killing Angel. Yes. So like a no. violent outburst on someone who's supposed to be his friend. It's one of the things that I, uh, I really like about this episode is that, the, like we were saying in the beginning, this is the Rockford is mourning a friend and nobody's there to uh, help him with it. Maybe Rocky would have been there, but he can't actually talk to Rocky about it because he's just going to get Rocky telling him to get out of this line of work. Right. The closest we get is Dennis, actually. Um, yeah, it's 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 a surprisingly sad episode, despite the fact that it is. Well, no, it's 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 not the funniest Rockford Files, but it's it's has this standard amount of Rockford Files humor in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think this is the grimmest point of the episode. Yeah. Well, no, there might be one that's slightly more, which will at the end. But uh, just the you know the look on Jim's face, the way that he like yeah. raises his fist, an angel like huddles away and cowers and it's uh it's a little rough but jim takes all the takes all the stuff to like take it back i guess angel has this whole thing about like what you want the you know you want the state to take all the stuff shouldn't it be with a friend like that kind right. of, oh, like, yeah. all of angel's uh, justifications he's, he's ready with them yeah yeah it's good but yeah so we get to so we see just how much this is affecting jim but now that he has, you know, successfully defended Eddie's yeah. honor posthumously, um, and he has a, a new lead for what was going on, we go into what I feel like is our, our, our fourth act, following up on this Arnold Moe guy. We hope you enjoyed that discussion of uh, another wonderful episode of The Rockford Files. Here are a couple ways to support us that will keep us bringing this podcast to you, our fellow Rockford Files fans. First, you can rate and review us on iTunes or whatever else you use for podcasts. Second, you can support us directly for as little as a dollar an episode at patreon.com slash 200 a day. And of course, both of us have other projects. Epi, what do you have going on right now? As always, I'm working on the next issue of Worlds Without Master. Uh, You can go to www.worldswithoutmaster.com. Or just patreon.com slash epidiah. Or you can go to digathousandholes.com where I talk about my other projects, including non-sword and sorcery games and fiction. How about you, Nathan? What are you working on? For the year of 2018, I am doing a monthly zine project called Zine 2018. Each monthly issue is a collection of essays, art, photography, and a game in each one organized around a central theme based on the month. 
So you can see more about that at ndpdesign.com slash zine2018. And it is available through my Patreon at patreon.com slash ndpaoletta. Uh, in addition, you can check out all of my games at ndpdesign.com, including the worldwide wrestling role-playing game and the forthcoming Trouble for Hire, which may be yeah. interesting to some of our listeners. So that's it for now. Thank you again for listening. We very much appreciate your support. And now, back to the show. So he goes to his apartment, uh, looks around. This is kind of a longish watching Jim do stuff scene. Um, but the important things are that he finds a, uh, a big suitcase that looked like it was brand new. Had a big price tag on it. I think it, said, I think it was like $259 or was it 259 no, I think it was two hundred and fifty nine dollars, which that is like a grand. Yeah, like maybe it's all leather. I don't know. It, like, yeah. Well, that makes sense given the context we learn in a minute. But I was like, damn. Um, yeah. So, so far, we've heard that this guy is a, a he runs a laundromat. Yeah. <laughs> so it's an expensive suitcase. I guess there's not that much stuff in the closet, and then a piece of mail comes through the slot. Another piece of mail. Yeah. From a like savings and trust bank. Jim calls Sally to set up the background for a con that he doesn't actually end up yeah. needing, which I kind of like. It's like we always yeah. see Jim running it, but we never really see him, see him prepping it. He asks her to take a message for Mr. Cooley if she gets one because banks are so because banks are just about the hardest people to get information from. <laughs> and she says that she will. Um, so his strategy here is that he shows up an hour late to the appointment that he had made just when this guy from the bank, George Neff, is leaving for lunch so that he can invite himself along. Yeah. You know, I really need to get a burger and a beer or I just go, you know, crazy or whatever. I was all set for this guy to be a total, like, stonewall, have to pry it out of him. Yeah. <laughs> Use this Mr. Cooley gambit that he'd already set up in the previous scene. But no, they go to Tommy's on the corner cut to them in a booth with this guy Neff ordering his fourth martini yeah <laughs> with a huge plate with a like with a plate with a giant sandwich on it untouched in front of him <laughs> while Rockford has half of a burger and half yeah. of a beer in front of him uh yeah no this is good it gets even better when uh a little bit later in the scene Rockford takes the check it's a small moment but his look at the check is exquisite. It's just this tiny, like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So his his line, not that it, it almost doesn't matter, but he says that he's a, a inheritance tax yeah. you know, official for the state or whatever. One of the things that he commonly does. But now that uh, George Neff is on his fourth martini, you know, you're going to tell me about Arnold Moe. And the guy's like, I was? You were. Okay, so he starts <laughs> telling Rockford everything that he knows, which is that he had extensive holdings, but there's not much left now because he instructed the bank to convert his assets into bearer bonds. And so by now he must have six figures worth of bearer bonds in his safety deposit box. If we've learned anything over the past six seasons of the Rockford Files is that nothing good ever comes of converting <laughs> money into bearer bonds. <laughs> Criminal activity always involves bearer bonds. It is it is the Bitcoin of the seventies <laughs> and early eighties. <laughs> um, Jim's like, oh well, his his laundry business must have done really well. Arnold Moe, laundry business, you must be joking. 
He was a great accountant. Yeah. <laughs> and the state accountancy board will know his uh, where his office was and how to get in, in touch with them. Uh, we uh, go back to Jim's trailer where he's talking to Sally and we get the we're going to talk out what what we think happened so that the audience knows what happened scene. I mean, in this scene, it's important to note that Jim offers her a delectable dessert. Is that a dessert? I couldn't tell what it was. He said, would you like some dessert? And she turned it down, right? And it's a Twinkie. He has a prepackaged oh. Twinkie. It's a very Jim moment. Well, because he says this is a poor, like, this is a poor dinner for Eddie. We know Eddie likes good food and good drink. Mm. That was a thing that he said earlier. Like, he doesn't have any friends, but he loves good food and good drink or something like that. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, so I does not want Jim's Twinkie. Uh, and we uh, get the information that uh, Arnold Moe worked for the union that Ryan is the head of. Yeah. Uh, he must have cooked the books while Ryan, in order for Ryan to steal money, and he probably skimmed a bunch for himself as well. And it looked like Mo was looking was was looking to cash out, right? He was converting all his cash into bonds, and he had the suitcase and all this stuff. So maybe he was tipping off Eddie to what was happening, and he's going to give him some kind of evidence so that everything fell on Ryan, and Mo could just skip town with all of his money and be clean of wrongdoing. Um, with his own take. So they theorize that it must have been something like a book or a ledger of all these accounting shenanigans. That would be the proof mm-hmm. of all these uh, fraud, you know, and, and embezzlement and whatnot. That must be the package. It hasn't gotten to Rockford yet. It's got to be in the morning mail. <laughs> Cut to Ryan yelling at his goons to find that package. <laughs> Cut to <laughs> Chapman in a dimly lit room exhausted trying <laughs> just trying to get something out of the united states postal service yes rockford has been proven right all along uh chapman should have brought some sandwiches the staging is great because it's like it's this woman with this helmet of hair yeah. at a desk <laughs> with one light with the big usps seal behind her the rest of the room is in darkness and chapman's in just like one chair like a supplicant before her and his hair's all down and he looks yeah. exhausted oh it's good stuff it's regulations 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 we only deliver packages to the address recipient chapman blows up about all these regulations why can't you just help a guy out and he even says something uh like you know you won't get the package you won't let me see the thing you know you have to see all my receipts like he he slips yeah. <laughs> in a complaint about the irs and then ends with, doesn't the fact that I'm a police lieutenant mean anything? <laughs> and she looks at him and just says, no. Yeah. <laughs> the Chapman is falling apart. That's the emotional core of Chapman. Yeah. Why doesn't my position mean that I get better treatment? And this woman saying, regulations, can't do yep. it. He, he, he would need a search warrant from a federal magistrate in order to uh, acquire what he wants here. But uh, yeah, I love how this shows us exactly why he isn't taking like the I like he's simultaneously super pressured and not taking seriously his audit. He doesn't think he should have to deal with it. It's interesting to you because so obviously this episode is setting up some uh Schadenfreude, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're so and you know there's gonna be a good note to that at the end. But uh 
it has to do this because we, as longtime fans, have seen Chapman over the years. We know uh, we we would love to see him get his comeuppance. <laughs> it's interesting to see this show and think of it in isolation. See this episode and think of it in isolation. Yeah, he is a jerk to to Rockford, but not really. He's just frustrated with everyone. Um, like this is a comedy about a man whose life is falling apart. Like that's what this this part of it is. We can appreciate a lot of it because we know that we know the history of this character. Um, not that you can't appreciate it if you saw it as a standalone episode, because no, no. it does the work to show you why he deserves, you know, what he's going to yeah. get. But I think there's a level of appreciation of yeah. exactly <laughs> how satisfying this is going to be. Yeah. That comes from seeing Jim get hassled by this guy so much over and over yeah uh now that we know that chapman isn't getting anywhere we roll into our kind of our our final act i guess at this point jim knows that chapman is not going to get the package so jim is waiting for fred the mailman and as he and so jim and sally are like riding are, are together in this scene so he gets out of the firebird goes over and fred's like i have your package like, like throws it at him <laughs> like i want to be done with this whole thing and he's got a huge bandage over his head poor fred yeah this is a nice uh, uh intercut uh scene here so jim starts opening the finally starts opening the wrapping on this package before we can see what it is we cut to the goons who intercept fred closer to jim's house <laughs> yes and he's like i already gave it to jim like <laughs> And they, to their credit, are like, all right. They just get back in their car. Why would anyone lie to us? Right. Uh, So cut back, and Jim lifts out what is clearly a wheel of cheese. (laughs) Sweeney's Green Mountain Cheddar. Yes. Sally says, I don't understand. And Jim says, it's my favorite cheese. (laughs) I I had, by this point, completely forgotten the title of the episode and i was like oh you got me me." (laughs) (laughs) i like that we know uh jim's favorite thing of cheese finally six seasons in three episodes to go and we know his favorite cheese uh and it's so weirdly touching because this is this final act by a loner friend who only jim really knows angel doesn't know jim's favorite cheese Rocky probably doesn't know Jim's favorite cheese. Only Eddie could possibly right. know Jim's favorite cheese. And uh, probably sent it to Jim as a joke. I mean, there's a reason for him to send it. Could have bought it at the train station, maybe. It's a know, whole but... wheel. It's like... Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a, a big lot wheel. Of a... As we'll see, Eddie, you know, executed a clever double blind here. But Eddie chose <laughs> his favorite cheese... In addition to the other purpose of sending this package. Good old Eddie. Of course, our goons drive up and grab the package (laughs) that Jim has put the cheese back into. And he has a line as they come up of like, no matter what I say, they're not going to like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll never believe me. They'll never believe me. Right, yeah. Uh, But they just grab it and drive back off with it. (laughs) Like, what do we do now? And he picks up the outer wrapping that the package had been wrapped in. Mm-hmm. And I guess we see on the camera, I guess we see the return address, maybe. There's something about it that Jim looks yeah, at yeah. and goes like, you know what? 
I remember, and this is a thing that I don't really know what it is because we don't have newspapers anymore, right? But <laughs> so maybe you know what this meant. He's, he remembers that Eddie kept a box number with the classified section of the newspaper because he moved around so much he needed somewhere to get his mail. So in my notes, I'm like, oh, he had a P.O. box. But that's not what this is. No, I suspect it is a little bit like a P.O. box. I bet you if you're selling things through classifieds that a newspaper might offer this service where you can get in contact with me at the newspaper or something like that. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, like sending someone mail, you know, uh, in care of the newspaper. Because it seems like a like a simple thing for them to do and to upsell you on a classified, right? Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, he recalls that. And this, so this is actually kind of a clever thing that I didn't realize until just now because I know the rest of the episode. But Sally's like, oh, yeah, I forgot that too. Yeah. My very next line in my notes here is don't trust, I don't trust Sally. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I, why, why not? There was a scene early on where it felt like she was pumping Jim for information. Like, I think the first scene where they're together. Right, because she has this whole story about her friend that she could tell anything to. Yes, yes. And it's it feels a little bit like a con. And then when Jim invites her in on the con. Now, all of this, like, in my notes, it's it's like, I don't know which way to feel about this. She's yeah. a reporter, so she's probably run a con like this. So that's why she's in with Jim on this. And it turns out it's even less likely than that <laughs> the truth is actually doesn't really explain that i did not question this character at all ah. until the reveal which we'll get to in a second yeah it's just a, a moment later but yeah i mean i did think during that dinner scene with that whole story and stuff was a little bit of like you should tell me more about this guy i will construct a story that's kind of similar so that you will tell me something yeah. But I thought that was still in service of, I have to write a story, and I didn't actually right. know him. Exactly. And yeah. then she got invested in finding out what really happened. That's as much excuse as we need for someone to ride with Jim to do things, right? Yeah. At this point, like, I didn't trust her, but I also had no clue what her angle would have been. This is kind of a tell, as we learn, yeah. where she's like, I forgot that also. So they go to the newspaper so that Jim can track down the box, and they go into the doors... Oh, I want to say just before the doors, because I got to I got to point as his accountant. I got to point this out. He needs her to feed the parking meter. (laughs) (laughs) It's this you're inside the uh, uh, newspaper office looking out the window and you see pantomime business around the parking meter. But it's very clear that she's ready to run in. And Jim has like is like, I, I, I can't I don't have a coin. They do go in, and uh, she says that she needs to go, f- like, uh, file or something because she yeah. hasn't been at work because she's been doing this, and the editor will be mad at her or something, which sounds plausible. In my notes, it says, still don't trust Sally. <laughs> Jim goes to the classifieds. So he, he does a, a very quick, classic Jim uh, con on the, the poor woman who's at the front desk in the classified section. Saying that the vice president of the newspaper yeah. sent him down for the package that's in Hellinger's box. And he's going to be real mad if, you know, the thing that he sent me down for doesn't happen. And she, yeah. of course, who is she to argue with the vice president? Right. So she returns. There was no package, but there is this envelope. And so Jim, of course, opens the envelope yes. and there's a key inside. The trail, the breadcrumbs continue to, to uh, create our trail. Uh, so they said, we'll meet back at the car. He's in the lobby, doesn't see her, gets impatient. 
yeah. and goes to find her. Uh, there's a bunch of reporters at desks or whatever. He asks one of them, hey, where's uh, Sally? I forget what her, what her last name was. I didn't note it down, but yeah. it's like Sally Parker or something like that. Yeah, I don't, it's not even an IMDb for a reason. Uh, this is the part in my notes where I wrote down, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> like, where's Sally Parker? And the guy's like, oh, she's over there. Jim goes over and the woman at that desk is not the Sally that we no. have seen. And he's like, where's, where's Sally? And uh, Sally Parker is like, I'm Sally Parker. Dun, yep. dun, dun. <laughs> I trust that Sally. Yeah, she seems trustworthy. <laughs> so dramatic reveal. Sally has not been, has been lying to Jim all along. Yes. And I was actually surprised because, again, oh, I did not good. pick up on any of those tells uh, while I was watching it. I trusted Sally. That's what I'm saying. My distrust of her, I wasn't I wasn't a hundred percent in my distrust of her. And I was always like half a step. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like it wasn't like from the beginning I knew that she was a problem. It was like at, at this point, I'm like, oh, it was just before they were about to reveal it. And I think it's handled pretty well that it works both ways because yeah. of who she actually is, which we'll learn yeah. in a second. Because if it had like huge dramatic implications for like who killed uh, Eddie, then I'd kind of be like, I I wish I had had more indication, right? Right. But it's it's fine that it's a surprise because so Jim confronts her and we see that his affect is totally changed and he's like being sarcastic and stuff because he knows that she's been lying to him and he grabs her bag and starts going through it. It's like oh, just looking for ID. I'm like I I know you're not Sally Parker or whatever the name was. He's like fine, I'm Sally Sternhagen. IRS. <laughs> and he immediately hands oh, yeah. the, the purse back and says, I don't think I disturbed anything. Yeah, yeah. He, was, <laughs> he went from being like, I'll get to the bottom. Okay, here you go. Yeah. <laughs> so it turns out that she is, in fact, a Treasury Department IRS agent. Mm-hmm. Has been all along. Uh, Eddie contacted the IRS saying that he had info that would nail Ryan on tax fraud and all these other uh, things. So she was coming out to follow up on that. He got murdered. And so she decided that Jim, I figured if I stuck with you, that was the best way to find out what was going on. I am all here for uh, the Sally. What was her last name? Sally Uh, Sternhagen. Sally Sternhagen, IRS agent, uh, backdoor pilot. here. Yes. I would watch her solve financial crimes. Yes, exactly. Adopting a variety of guises. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she'd be great. I feel like Jim's like, all right, fair enough. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yep. this is not really a problem for him because yeah. she's not after him. Yes. You know, he is not the target of the IRS investigation. Therefore, they can continue this, this track that they're on, which takes them back to the train station because the key is, of course, for a locker at the train station. They, there used to be those. I remember lockers in public uh, places and airports and stuff. Yeah. We cut to Ryan. This is a an, another great little humanizing scene in his like office, and we think we I think we get an establishing shot of the seal of the like International Union of Meat Packers. Like we finally yeah. find. I was like, oh, that's why it was in a meat packing plant. That makes sense. <clears throat> anyway, he opens the box and goes, "It's a lousy stinking cheese." <laughs> <laughs> And the two guys are like, we didn't know it was a cheese. It's like, why would we open it? You know, like he's yelling at his dumb goons for being dumb, which is great. But then he says, it's like, where's the book? I'm looking for the book. So, yes, the thing that they theorized is what's what's in play here. If it got mailed from the train station, it's still got to be there. 
So they're going to go back and look for it themselves. So, of course, all of our principals are headed towards the train station. Yes. Jim and Sally open this locker, and sure enough, there is a an identical brown package in there. They open it up, and inside is, is, a, is a big ledger that is helpfully labeled Ryan Pension Fund Accounts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we see our goons. Uh, we see Rockford and Sally see the goons, and Rockford, you know, thinks on his feet, tells Sally to go call the police, and then he grabs the package and start and like obviously makes himself known so that the goons chase mm. him. And now we get this uh, this very dramatic finale where they chase him outside the station into the actual train yard. Uh, they're running in between trains, and uh, it ends with. Jim running through something where he can't really see what's on the other side. They chase him. And then we hear the honk of the semi horn. Yeah. And we have the scene from the preview montage of the oncoming truck. And then the camera flips to them, to the two goons. And they're both putting their hands up with horrified looks on their faces. And then it yeah. cuts. <laughs> yes. Like, and in my notes, I think I have, did, did they get hit by a bus? <laughs> I was, holy sh! that truck hit them? Yeah, that is what I wondered as well. And that's not even the most holy thing coming up. It's immaterial, the logistics of how this happened. But uh, uh, Ryan is in some kind of, like, one of the train cars or something, looking for Jim. He's like, hey, we can settle this right now. You're never going to get away, that kind of stuff. Jim's waiting for him and then closes this big steel door behind him. So the two of them are in this, like, isolated, dark chamber. The way that it's lit. You see Ryan's face, and you can see Rockford, but he's kind of in shadow. Yeah. And he has a line about, this is the first time we've been alone. Mm-hmm. And then we see Rockford's shadow eclipsing over Ryan. Yeah. And then we cut from there. <laughs> it's just... It's like, oh my god. It's out of character for Rockford. Mm-hmm. And probably a reminder that this guy has had Rockford's friend killed. Right. right. Like, this is... Yeah. This is... uh not a moment that shows up a lot in the Rockford files, but usually when that thing happens, he just gets them caught. Like that's his uh, MO. In this case, it's not. It's this very dark. Uh, and if they had ended it there, I would have been like, what? Yeah. The ever living hell. <laughs> Fortunately, we do have a yeah. uh, finale scene here back in Chapman's office, Jim and Sally sitting in front of his desk. Chadman dressing Jim down, as he always does. Uh, there are two guys with critical injuries. Yes. And the, the union the union guy, Ryan, with contusions. <laughs> so, Rockford had a, I don't know, sack full of oranges with him or something? Yeah. Like, it, was... <laughs> it is established that nobody was killed, but critical injury sounds pretty bad. Yeah. And Jim definitely beat that guy up. It's so... And contusions is such... Uh... Such a Rockford Files threatening word, right? Yeah. Like that, I feel like there's mob folk that have threatened people with contusions before. Yeah, but yeah. So we let our imaginations play with what uh, what happened in that uh, in that room. He could have tripped backing away from Rockford. I would have done it. We have an Officer Billings appearance as he yes. comes into the room to tell Chapman that he has a phone call. Chapman's like, "Oh, you know, I'm busy." Well, it's really important, Lieutenant. It's your accountant. <laughs> so of course lieutenant chapman takes the call at his desk in front of uh the two of them 
Yep. Uh, his accountant's name is Murray. And he's like, change whatever you need to change. I'll swear to everything. <laughs> All those idiots at the IRS, they don't actually look at anything. Like, he insults the IRS agents. Yes. Implies that he can get out from under this audit and tells his accountant to do a crime. Right. He hangs up and then there's a little bit of business where Sally asks him for a pen because she's going to take down his name and he gets suspicious and he's like, wait, what is this? And Jim goes, you want to tell him? And uh, Sally shows him her badge with her IRS ID and he starts stammering and being like, oh, that was a joke. <laughs> my my accountant, he's my second cousin. We're always joking about this kind of stuff. <laughs> and then we end our episode with this fantastic freeze frame of Jim Jim Rockford leaning back in his chair, cup of water in hand, smiling his broadest smile, <laughs> watching Chapman squirm. So uh, there's no raw numbers in this episode with relation to Rockford's... Well, he clearly wasn't getting paid. No, he wasn't getting paid. Um, and he definitely paid for things. Like, he, he paid... It, it seemed very clear that he paid for the lunch with the banker and uh, may have paid for dinner with Sally that one time. I think so. It was fun watching his, as, as our interests intersect here, mm-hmm. uh, his food choices, uh, I felt, descended as the episode went. I, I think you could see him losing money as the yeah. episode goes on. Like, it, like, she's like, I've never seen a steak that big to let's split a Twinkie to... <laughs> And you pay the parking meter. <laughs> yeah. Whenever he has to get food with other people, yeah. it's like expensive and not the stuff he would have. And then when he's on his own, he's like, a taco. Yes. A package of Twinkies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we talked about it a little bit, but that uh, climactic scene. Yeah. So, yes. So th- this episode has a nice like circular kind of pattern to it where we start at the train station. We end at the train station. Circular, like a big wheel of cheese. Like a big wheel <laughs> of cheese. Yes, exactly. But also we start with a more gruesome than normal act. And then we end with a more gruesome than normal act. Yeah. We don't yeah. see that on camera, right? It kind of, But that's one of the, you know, the technique is cut away before you see the results so that the audience imagines it, right? And that's yeah. executed well to show us that Rockford is... He doesn't just want to bust the case open, right? He doesn't just want to get right. the, get this guy to jail. He wants some kind of revenge for what this guy caused to happen to his friend. There's also a description of what happened to his friend. I think Dennis delivers it, and it is gruesome. All the blood was leaking out of him like a... Yeah, what was the line? It was a good line. Um, and just talking about how it was just this very cold and professional hit yeah like they knew what they were doing and so uh yeah uh it it has interesting contrast sometimes when these happen you know i've been known to say oh i bet you this was a script from something else that they slammed into the rockford files i don't actually think that's the case here this feels very rockford files Mm -hmm. uh but it does does also feel like like i said at the beginning like um a revenge flick Mm -hmm. and it's also interesting that he spends most of his time trying to figure out like he knows who he's just trying to figure out why right he's trying to figure out why and find the evidence yeah so it's actually it's kind of an interesting look at using a MacGuffin also which we've talked about before where like yeah not only is it the thing that everyone's chasing and that's what makes the plot it also has a story impact 
the fact that it's the ledger because that makes the narrative of the union boss embezzling and you know all that stuff come together and it also thematically highlights chapman's issues with the irs and then the fact that jim ends up with the wheel of cheese is like a character moment that further illustrates his relationship with eddie and is also funny yeah yeah (laughs) it's in this case it's not just a scene that carried multiple did did multiple things it's like the MacGuffin carried multiple weights, which is kind of nice. One of the things that's so wonderfully Rockford about it is that most of the tension in this episode comes from bureaucracy. You got Chapman's story, which is about the IRS, uh, and it's about him trying to somehow, <laughs> you know, get around the the uh, the letter of the law. You, so he's got his receipts, and you know, he has his accountant, and that's all. Right. Not, nothing about receipts and accountants sounds exciting, <laughs> right? But it's still fun and is enjoyable to watch. And then the other half is this mail procedure, this this <laughs> things lost at the postal office, uh, and where they go, and who has them. Mm-hmm. They could be in route or whatever. And um, it's just something very Rockford Files about that, like. Yeah. It, like the 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 using bureaucracy and the, yeah. the difference between people in power because of their position and people in power because of like being criminals or having like physical yeah. threats. Yeah. And also like we talked about like just the the all the humor is very Rockford humor. Yeah. Um I think I I might have a clarification slash retraction. Oh. Uh coming in live from 30 years of the Rockford files. Uh, by Ed Robertson. <laughs> so first of all, just fun trivia. The original title for this episode was This Package is Extra Sharp. <laughs> and they retitled it The Big Cheese, which I guess is also addressing the fact that he's the union boss, right? Yeah. And also that yeah. uh, that uh, uh, Chapman thinks he's such a big deal. Mm-hmm. But This Package is Extra Sharp is also pretty good. That's good, yeah. But uh, reproduced in this in this write-up is a page from the shooting schedule for this episode. And it includes the scene with Rockford and Becker uh, getting the address of the other victim. And under the line that says, Vehicles, Livestock, and Props, it lists... Chili Dog. Oh. In addition to Coffee, Slip of Paper, Rockford's Firebird, and Becker's Car. So... That thing that we said was a taco, perhaps that was in fact a chili dog. Oh, but I th- I could have sworn it had a taco shell. I thought so too. Maybe they reshot it or something. Or it maybe it was be. supposed to be a chili dog, but they made a game time decision that it was a taco. A chili dog seems more in line with that dialogue. <laughs> like, how can yeah. you eat that? Right? So like, it seems uh, chili dog does sound like garbage food. Right. It's still garbage food, but confirmed that Rockford and Neff in the bar were eating hamburgers and fries. Good. Good. I was, I was worried about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the other thing about that scene that was a little out of character was, uh, and you could easily read it as, as Dennis feeling sorry for Rockford, but Dennis just hands that address over. Yeah. There is no mm-hmm. cajoling or anything like that. He's just like, here you go. Ongoing police investigation. Enjoy. Well, and here I think we can kind of use the other things in this episode to headcanon why that happened without yeah. any textual evidence, which is we talked about how they set up the, the tension between Chapman yeah. and Dennis. So, like, if this is a thing where it's Chapman's investigation and right. Dennis knows that Rockford is, like, really serious about this, he doesn't have 
any reason not to help Rockford because what? Right. He's just going to mess up Chapman's investigation. That's yeah. Chapman's problem, not Becker's problem. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, it also is just the easiest way to get him to the accountant's apartment. It doesn't stand out as weird to me because I think there is a justification yeah. provided by the rest of the episode. I will, I will agree to that stipulation. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, I think this is a good episode. It's a little weird, not in a bad way. But in like a memorable way. Yeah. It stands out a little bit from the, you know, quote unquote standard Rockford Files episode. It's a little darker. We get to see Jim be really grieving. Yeah. And like not very good at processing that. And uh, some great character moments between him and the regular cast. Yeah. Like all the deals with him and Angel are funny and also sad. Uh, the deal with his with Rocky is, is pretty sad as well. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, no, it's good stuff. The in fact, the the entry uh, about this episode compares it to Sleight of Hand, which we've mm-hmm. mentioned earlier. And I was thinking about that a little bit as we were talking because I would have to watch it again because it's been a while. But yeah. my memory of Sleight of Hand, which is uh, an episode that centers around Rockford getting into a longer term relationship with a woman, and then she just straight up disappears. And he has to find out what happened to her and turns out that she was murdered. Very sad. Uh, But that one's more melancholy. Yeah. And this one's more like raw. Yeah. Like we don't really see Rockford as angry in in sleight of hand. He's more, I mean, we might in moments, but not to the degree that we do in this episode. Yeah, I would have to watch it again. It's been a while, but uh, I think um, there's definitely a a difference in tone. I think that like this one is... The, the the read you had on it with that Rockford is throwing himself into the case and that's keeping him from having to deal with what actually happened or having to to process it or whatever I think is great I think that's precisely what's what they're trying to get across and what is going down cool well do you have any other thoughts about the big cheese uh no I think that's uh that covers just about all of it like I said uh, it's clear that Rockford has not been able to pay his bills by the end of this episode. <laughs> well, he only has three episodes left, so hopefully he can keep the creditors at bay that long. And he's he's got a good friend with the FBI now. Or, I'm sorry, uh, with the IRS now. He's got a good friend with the IRS. Recall that this, uh, this season opens with him uh, getting audited because they are they're threatening to sell off all of his stuff because he lost a lawsuit. So he's making lots of friends with like (laughs) people who are potentially in control of his financial destiny. Yes. uh, The sixth (laughs) season. Cool. Well, uh, hopefully this was as entertaining and interesting, uh, as our, uh, usual format. Go ahead and let us know through the Twitters, uh, or through our Patreon at patreon.com slash 200 a day. If there's anything about this that you preferred or thought was not as good as we're going to continue tweaking our formula a little bit as we uh, record our next couple of episodes. Uh, Yeah, I'm excited to see uh, how people received it. (laughs) Cool. Well, even though Rockford didn't make any money, I think that we've earned our $200 for today. (laughs) So we will be back next time to talk about another episode of The Rockford Files.